Welcome to Ed Talks Minnesota, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations in the Twin Cities about issues impacting young people and public education and creative strategies and opportunities to support and advocate for our youth. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, community leaders, and others who care deeply about young people, their well being, and success. Ed Talks is supported by generous grants from the Bush Foundation and Comcast. This Ed Talk is titled How Debaters Will Save Democracy and Change the World. Participation in academic debate improves students' test scores, grades, and graduation rates, and also fosters critical skills that strengthen civic action and agency. In this Ed Talk, Amy Cram Helwich explores how academic debate, historically dominated by white male and wealthy individuals, has now expanded to a much wider range of participants and can help strengthen critical thinking, listening, empathy, problem-solving, and advocacy skills. Amy also describes how students from the Minnesota Urban Debate League's Spanish, East African, and Financial Literacy Debate teams utilize debate skills to create change in their communities. Amy is Executive Director of the Minnesota Urban Debate League, a program of Augsburg University that supports competitive academic debate for over 1,400 students at 40-plus Twin Cities middle and high schools. This Ed Talk was recorded in front of a live audience at Ice House in Minneapolis on February 24th, 2020. Well, thank you, everyone. I am thrilled to be here and able to share with you about um, something I'm just incredibly passionate about, um, about debate. But more so than debate, than my students. Um, I, I will probably use a lot of superlatives uh, through the course of the evening. Um, I believe that my students are incredibly intelligent, uh, bright, passionate, amazing, and most definitely leaders. As Amy mentioned, our students are leading not now in the future, they're not future leaders, but they're leading right now. And, um, and I'm excited to tell you some stories and what they're accomplishing. So here is a picture of me. I have just learned uh, that I um, have qualified to the national debate tournament uh, to be held in Orlando, Florida that year. It's the mid-90s, you could probably tell by the shoulder pads and the hair. Uh, and uh, for me, this is um, the first time that I'm going to be able to uh, fly on an airplane, the first time I'm gonna see the ocean. Uh, and we even went to Disney World. It was amazing. <laughs> a really amazing experience for a small town girl from, uh, from Wyoming. And, um, and I think about when my own students have the opportunity to go to a national tournament, and it might be their first time on an airplane. Uh, it might be their first time uh, meeting kids all across the country, all passionate about the same issue. And um, I feel really connected to them. 
Uh, debate was also, for me, an opportunity uh, for, for college. I went to college on a debate scholarship, and um, I really believe that debate can play a critical role in helping students uh, open up doors for their future for college and career. So while I was having this experience with, um, oops, here we go. So while I was having this experience with, um, with debate out in uh, Wyoming, where I was growing up, Minnesota has had this really long uh, history of debate. So fun fact for you this evening, um, if you didn't know, uh, before Minnesota State High School League held their first uh, hockey tournament or their first basketball tournament, they held their first debate tournament. So it is the oldest state high school league activity in the state. And in 1902, the debate tournament was about uh, whether or not the United States should abolish capital punishment. Uh, when I was debating first time in 1994, the, the uh, resolution was on healthcare reform. So we can kind of see that these topics continue to stay current until we have properly dealt with them. Uh, well, uh, what's happening with Minnesota debate is that kids in 1902 are, it's, it's a very similar to what is happening now. So in 1902, kids were meeting with their teacher after school. They were doing research on the topic. It's always a, a big, major policy issue that the students are considering. Uh, last year, it was immigration reform. Uh, this year is whether or not we should be selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Uh, these are not uh, light subjects, but the kids are really digging in. And they're going to tournaments on Fridays and Saturdays, and they're uh, meeting kids across the state and really digging into the topic. But when uh, the Minnesota Urban Debate League was founded in 2004, the debate landscape in Minnesota had changed. So as you see on the map uh, behind me, that there's a lot of suburban and private schools that are still participating in debate. Urban debate in 2004 had gone away. There were budget cuts, school consolidations, uh, and at this point in time, there were only three urban schools that had high school debate programs, Minneapolis South and St. Paul Central and Highland Park. But even these programs, they were funded by parents. So it was still an access issue about if parents could pay the tournament and judge fees, uh, if they could get them to the tournaments on the weekends. Uh, so there was a, a really significant barrier to students participating. So our founder, uh, Karen Guerin, came together with other former debaters and said, you know, this is about equity and justice. And um, my boys had an amazing debate experience. Her sons all debated for the Blake School, and they were state and national champions. And she always said that debate for her was a partner in raising her kids as a single mom. Debate gave her kids a space, uh, another family uh, like space. It kept her boys busy after school and on the weekend. And it was really helpful for her. And, but more so than that, she saw how much her boys learned from it and thrived in it. And she felt like that same opportunity should be available for Minneapolis and St. Paul kids. And so she came together and helped form the Minnesota Urban Debate League in 2004. And here are some amazing, famous debaters. So I knew when I came on in 2009 from 
experience that defeat is a powerful uh, activity to grow leadership. I knew that I was in a really cool club, a cool club for debaters, because it included uh, you know, icons like Barbara Jordan, Malcolm X, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, uh, Oprah, and for this 90s kid, Michael Stipe and Brad Pitt. So it's a pretty cool club. Uh, but I had this, I knew of the famous debaters, I knew of my own experience of what debate had meant for me, uh, but I knew we, we needed more data to tell the story about debate and why it should be considered worth investment from the school districts, from foundations, uh, from individuals. Why, why debate? So in 2009, uh, there was a landmark study done by the National Urban Debate League. There's 22 leagues across the country, and this was on the Chicago study. Chicago is the oldest and biggest urban debate league in the country. Looking at 5,000 kids over multiple years, uh, Dr. Mazuk from the University of Michigan uh, was able to really dig in and control for eighth grade test scores and look at the number of debate rounds, number of competitions that students competed in. And what she found was really pretty great. She found that debaters versus non-debaters increased their graduation rates by 40%. She found that that increased for African-American boys to 70%. She found that after two years in debate, students increased their ACT scores from 17 to 21. And that after two years, students, white students and students of color, the GPA gap virtually closed. So this was important data. And we took this data in 2012. Yeah. We took this data in 2012, and uh, we took it to the school district, to Minneapolis Public Schools, and we said we're starting this relationship. Uh, we have this this uh, research report from the National Urban Debate League. We want you to study us too. We think we're doing pretty pretty similar work, and but we want to know what's happening here in Minnesota. Can you study? Uh, Minneapolis students who are debating. And so the district research department found some good information. They found that uh, in the first year and then three years after that, that every year students competed, they increased their MCA reading scores by 12 to 14 percent. They found in subsequent years that students also uh, enrolled in AP and IB classes, much more so than their, than their peers. For students of color, it was 50% more than their peers. Really good information. But what it also found is what the Urban Debate League needed to do better. So I think it's really important as educators and education nonprofits for us to not just share our successes, but also to share our struggles. Because I think we learn uh, as, as much, if not more, from our struggles. And what it found is that at that point in time, in 2012, that the number of students that we were serving who were, um, who were Latino students was 9%. The district percentage is 18%. We were not doing enough. That was a significant gap, and we needed to figure out how to do it better. So we had hard conversations with, among our team, uh, with our teachers, with students, with volunteers. And at the same time, there was a really great op-ed uh, written by Sandy Vargas, uh, who was the president of the Minneapolis Foundation at the time. And she called out Minnesota for being dead last for on-time graduation rates for Latino students. 
It was a call to action. And I felt like we had to do something in my role with our team, with our students. What could we do better? And that year was also the national debate topic was that the United States should uh, change its foreign policy with Mexico, Cuba, uh, and Venezuela. And so we said we're going to have our first Spanish debate program, our first Spanish debate tournament. And it was a really amazing experience. It wasn't easy, but it was amazing. And right now, we have the largest Spanish debate program in the country. But it wasn't just about making debate in Spanish. We made a number of other changes. So as I mentioned that the students had typically their tournaments on the weekends, on Fridays and Saturdays. Well, for kids who are working on the weekends or have family responsibilities, taking care of younger siblings, uh, a weekend debate tournament is an access issue. So we move those tournaments to midweek, to after school, into the early evening, and uh, we had a strong increase in participation. We also, after that first year, we said the community is going to pick the topic. We did focus groups, we talked to coaches, we talked to students. What are the concerns, what are the controversies in your community that you care about? And we want you to debate about it. And so we really had kind of a sea change in how we were doing our programming. We were no longer tied to the national mores or the national topic, and we were able to bring it to the community. The other big thing for us is we really wanted our students to see their bilingualism as an asset. I think so often when we start conversations with English language learner students, it is about what supports that they need because they're not speaking English at home. And we should be championing our students for them to see that their bilingualism is a gigantic asset in this global world. And so our students have this opportunity to do an academic enrichment activity in their home language. And we have students who said that their conversations with their grandparents and their extended family is greatly enriched because they have even more so to talk about. And, and that's awesome. So I think this quote from Shelley really uh, puts it together. And she talks about the fact that in her school day, she didn't have the opportunity to talk uh, in Spanish and make those connections with her family and her community. But the other really amazing thing about Shelley is she started debating at Anwatton Middle School, and when she went to Thomas Edison for high school, we hadn't gotten there yet. But that's okay, because Shelley took it on herself to talk to the principal about having a Spanish debate team at Thomas Edison. And so now we have a clear pathway from middle school debate to high school debate. The other, so after we had Spanish debate, then we went and we started East African, uh, it started as Somali and now it's our East African debate. And it is also really great. So as you'll see a picture up here, we have a picture of Somali dancers, we've had poets. We wanted it to be, again, be community driven and about the community. We wanted it to be community first and debate second, not the other way around. And so our students were able to, uh, with uh, now Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, she was the, 
the godmother of our Somali debate program. She was one of our very first uh, focus groups and connections within the community to talk about what are the issues that, that families and community care about to debate. So our very first Somali debate program that we did was uh, the kids were, were talking about the remittance crisis. Families were trying to send remittances back to, the, back to their extended family in Somalia, but the banking regulations and the Patriot Act and concerns about money getting in the wrong hands uh, meant that families weren't able to get money where it was needed. It's a crisis. And so our students were debating about whether or not we should be in the long term looking at building a central bank in Somalia or whether in the short term we should be using the IMF. Did I mention that these are middle schoolers? Middle schoolers. And they leapt into this complexity joyfully because it impacted their lives. They had an opinion about it and they dug into the complex topics. So our students are amazing. They are so capable and so brilliant. And uh, we just, yeah, needed to give them the stage, the microphone, the podium, and, and they had a lot to say on the subject. So our final community leadership initiative, which we just launched last spring, is um, financial literacy debates for our uh, girls and gender non-binary students. We want to close the gender gap. Gender gap in financial literacy knowledge, gender gap in the number of uh, financial planners. Less than 10% of financial planners are women. And that's unacceptable. And it's unacceptable that there is a gap in our girls knowing uh, financial literacy. They need to be able to be the champions of their own story, and if we give them the knowledge, they have the power and the ability to do so. So, uh, this is a, a beautiful picture of, of Ridwan, and uh, she was one of our debaters from Patrick Henry High School in Minneapolis. Uh, she was featured, uh, profiled by City Pages uh, last fall. Uh, last fall, City Pages looked at uh, lifted up nine amazing teens that were making an impact in their community. Ridwan was one of those. Of those nine, four are debaters. And that's no accident because our students are tackling the complex issues of U.S. foreign policy, of domestic policy, of remittances and banking policy. They are capable of making change, and they're making change. They are leading uh, the walkouts for gun reform for March for Our Lives. They are leading the walkouts for climate, uh, for climate justice. And like Ridwan, they are figuring out their political voice and what change that they want to make in their community. They are amazing. So, I'm going to leave you with a short clip of our, uh, I wish I had my students here to tell you in person, so my second best is we have a, a clip from Jana Shortall interviewing our students, so just a sec. In the last couple of years, we have lost a lot as the U.S. and as an us when it comes to being civil with each other. Defined, the word civil means to be courteous, to be polite. Politics have always provided us room for civil debate, it seems, until now. And so I had this idea today to go talk to two high school students at the Minnesota Urban Debate League camp. You know the sport of high school debate? 
to ask, is it possible to debate anymore with civility? When you join a debate team, the first thing I tell you is that you're never going to get anywhere by arguing, you're debating. Also, it's just the right thing to do is to like let people have their opinions, let people make choices, and then respect that. And respect, you're allowed to respectfully disagree, but don't yell. It's not working in Congress. They don't have judges. <laughs> Debaters are better at communicating politely and respectfully than like most politicians. Why is that? Well, in debate, it's kind of like explain that you're never going to get anywhere by just being inflammatory, telling people that they're wrong, explaining your opinions, being civil about it, because no one has puts any stock in people who are just yelling, screaming, and acting like four-year-old children. Be as polite as you can, even if it's impossible to like take a deep breath, and that's a skill that takes a lot of time to learn. Can emotion and civility coexist? Yeah. Yes. If you use your emotions in a way that allows people to understand your experience. Can that exist in the real world? Yeah. Hope so. I mean, we're, we're debating to learn how to create change in the real world. If you want people to listen to you, you have to be willing to listen to them. You have to be willing to engage with what they say in the same way they have to be willing to engage with what you say. I think to an extent, trying to logically understand other people's points. Um, even if there's something you fundamentally disagree with. Like understanding why a person might feel that way. Right. Because, you know, sometimes there are backgrounds that lead to people you know, having opinions that are, you know, insensitive but have like fundamental reasoning behind them that you have to understand in order to engage with well. I did not go to a high school that had a debate team. Man, I missed out. And these kids are so brilliant. So I didn't realize this, that the entire nation of high school debaters gets an assignment for the whole year they debate one topic. The whole nation? This is coming, yeah, under the, the national guidelines. So this coming year is immigration. Can you imagine? I mean, I feel like we should just flip the cameras to them when we talk about immigration for the next year as they speak of it in a civil discourse. And one thing I also learned, this Augsburg, Minnesota Urban Debate League program, 100% of the participants, these kids, graduate on time. Oh, yeah. 99% go to college. Lessons from the youth. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me how, you know, sometimes our maturity goes backwards as we get older. You know, when I get depressed, I just go talk to the kids. You just go talk to the kids? Yep. Thank you so much, Amy. For more information on Ed Talks, to watch Ed Talks videos, or listen to more audio podcasts, visit achievempls.org slash edtalks.